According to the BBC, a woman in Slovakia became really, I mean really annoyed uh, with her neighbor because her neighbor's dog was barking incessantly. So what did she do? What can you imagine she did? Did did she nicely go over and maybe take a dog treat and say, hey, can you keep your dog from barking so much? No, she didn't do that. Or did she Google uh, how to keep a dog from barking so much and maybe bake a fresh batch of brownies and take those over? No, that wasn't her choice either. Instead, she decided to fight noise with noise. And so what she did is she played uh, an aria from Giuseppe Verdi's La Traviata, sung by Placido Domingo. And she played that aria really, really loud from morning to night uh, for 16 years. From 2002 to 2018, she blared La Traviata constantly, morning all the way to night. The neighbors were frustrated with authorities for not doing anything about it. And finally, in 2018, they arrested her. According to one news site, a woman said, I love Placido Domingo, but not like this. You think? 16 years. Not exactly what Jesus had in mind when he said, love your neighbor. Well, today we continue our series titled Next Door, the call to the neighborhood. And in this series, we've been exploring what Jesus had to say about our relationship to our neighbors. In the first week, we looked at our motive to, to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. And this is not only how we demonstrate uh, our love for one another and to our neighbor, but it's also how we demonstrate our love for God and how the life of Jesus is evidenced in us. We took a look at what I labeled for us the domino theory, and that is that we first love, or we can love because we have first been loved uh, by God. Then last week we took a look at, uh, we explored one of the most famous stories ever told, the story of the Great Samaritan. And one of the things that we discovered in that story is that Jesus took the idea of neighbor and moved it from something that is a relationship that is affinity-based. In other words, uh, I'm a neighbor to this person because either we live close together or uh, we have uh, similar uh, interests or similar hobbies, similar ethnicity or whatever. And Jesus took it not only to include affinity-based, but expanded it to need-based, mercy-based. Your neighbor is anybody who has a need. Now we want to consider what it means to hear the call of Jesus to love our enemies. What does it mean to love the person in your life who is really hard to love. Let me invite you to turn or launch your Bible to Luke chapter 6, Luke chapter 6, verses 27 through 36. And before we read, just let me offer a bit of context. Luke chapter 6 may sound familiar to you. It's Luke's version of the Sermon on the Mount, which we find in its entirety in Matthew 5 through 7. This reminds us that some of the texts that we read in Matthew and Luke and Mark Uh, are similar. They're called synoptic gospels, which means basically same. Uh, Mark was written first, and clearly Matthew and Luke had access to Mark uh, when they wrote their gospels as well. Before uh, our text today, we find that that, uh, Jesus is giving uh, beatitudes or blessings, but he also gives a sense of of woes. You know, woe uh, are those who aren't part of God's work and God's way in the world. And then we come uh, to our text. Jesus begins with the statement, but to you who are listening, I say. But to you who are listening, I say. To whom is he referring? Who was listening to Jesus 
that day. His disciples were there, those who were open to following him to a new way of living. You know, when we read what follows, we need to hear that the, the code of ethics that follows is expected of those who have a desire to pursue the way of God, the way of Jesus in the world. Now, to be sure, his followers listening that day were a diverse lot. They made up uh, those who didn't get into the elite rabbinical schools. There were blood brothers in the group. There were those who didn't know each other before the call of Jesus on their life. There was a tax collector, fisherman, and then those from the crowd who Luke said came to hear him. Those who had been healed and cleansed of impure spirits. They were the left out and the fed up. Jesus was a man of the people long before it was popular. His crowd included those for whom the world simply was not working and those the religious elite just simply could not understand. He came with a word for the weary, a message for the marginalized, and salvation for sinners. Before I read the rest of the text, let me just get a gentle question out on the table. Are you willing to listen to the words of Jesus and apply them to your life? He starts, but those of you who are listening, are you ready to hear that Jesus has a way that He wants you to live when it comes to some of your most challenging relationships? He has a way that He wants you to live that will absolutely take every single ounce of your faith to do it. And every single ounce of your flesh will resist it. Are you willing to hear? from the voice of Jesus. It's a question worth pondering this morning. He continues, those who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on the cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies. Do good to them. And lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great and you will be children of the Most High because He is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. This is the Word of God for the people of God. What a message from Jesus. Love your enemy. Give or lend to anyone who asks of you. And by the way, if they don't even ask, they take it. Don't demand it back. Someone slaps you, don't slap them back. They take your coat, say, hey, you need my shirt also. I'd like to start rooting around in this text this morning by maybe asking a question that you don't expect. Last week we asked the question, who is my neighbor? So this week we need to start with, who is my enemy? Who is my enemy? Think about it for a moment. Who is that person in your life right now that is hard to love? It could be an actual neighbor blaring a Verdi aria. It could be somebody from work. It could be someone even 
in your own family. It could be someone with a different value system or set of life experiences and background than you. It may be someone who is demanding, someone you don't know. What you do know is you know the answer to the question. You know the answer to the question for you. Who is it really hard for you to love? Now let me take this to another level. If you struggle to answer that question, let me ask you a challenging question. Are you living on mission for Jesus? You see, my sense is that we're living on mission for Jesus if we're serious about taking His love to the neighborhood and to the streets. We'll run up against people that don't like the message. We'll run up against people for whom the gospel of Jesus and the love of Jesus and the offer of the love of Jesus is offensive. It's a message that some will resist at every turn. See, part of what it means to be on mission for Jesus is to be actively turning enemies into neighbors. That's part of what it means to be on mission, is to turn enemies into neighbors. I have a hunch that the more comfortable we get in life, the more upwardly mobile we become, the more we can actually control the number of quote-unquote enemies in our life. You see, if most of us can't name an enemy, it may be because we've become adept at avoiding those who are different than us. Let me say it again. If most of us can't avoid, uh, name an enemy, it may be we've become comfortable and adept at avoiding those who are different than us and canceling those who offend us. We are affluent and mobile enough in our culture just to move away from the lady blasting La Traviata rather than praying for her. Or we just try to manage our lives in such a way that we completely go out of the way to not be around people who may be offended by the gospel. We may not actually take up residence in a monastery, but we live our lives in such a way that we do. But to live a confident faith is to engage others who don't share the faith. And this is one of the ways we grow stronger in Christ. Now, I'm not saying we in the Christian community should say, okay, pastor told me today to go out and make an enemy, so here we go. But I think we need to take note that our Lord assumed we'd have them. We need to take note of that. He assumed that we would have them, and He assumed that we would have to be prepared to encounter people who are hostile toward Christians. It's a good question for us to consider as we consider this call to love your enemy. So how do we do it? Well, let's first get on the table love's choice. As we consider this text, we'll notice that Jesus drew a very sharp distinction between how disciples, his followers, are supposed to love people and how people uh, in the world, non-disciples, or he just says it really blunt and plain, sinners. He, he draws that distinction on how the two go about this idea of love. And so a disciple should love your enemies and pray for them. But those who aren't disciples love those who already love them. Or a disciple is supposed to bless and, 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 and pray for those who curse them. But those who are non-disciples only bless those who would bless them back. A disciple is to do good to those who would harm you. A non-disciple does good to people who will do good to them 
back. A disciple gives freely without expectation of payment to those who can't repay, but a non-disciple lends to only those who can pay. And so Jesus is saying here, there are people who do really nice things in the world, people who love others in the world, but they only, it's, it's a conditional basis. They only love those who can love them back. But the countercultural way to live is to love the person who doesn't love you, to give to the person who can't give back, to not demand your rights when your rights are absolutely trampled on. So you may be asking, how do we do this? How do we love people? like this. I mean, when somebody slaps you or insults you or takes what is yours, it stirs up passions and usually not the kind that we associate with love. It's usually like anger, frustration, hostility. How, how do you do this? Well, I've laid this out before if you've been walking with us for a while, but let me just lay it out very briefly. The Greeks had four words, four words for love that we only have one for in English. So in our culture, we use the word love for almost everything. I love mom and dad. I love baseball. I love ice cream. I love too much ice cream. You know how that goes, right? We just say love for everything, but the Greeks had four actual words. And so one word was storge, which is used often to describe family love. Another word is phileo. You may, a uh, city like Philadelphia, brotherly love. This is friendship love. Another word the Greeks used for love was eros, which is romantic love. Those three, storge, phileo, and eros, they're conditional. They're based on something in common or they're based on feelings. So, for example, storge is conditional. They're family, so you're supposed to love them. You know, you love family even when you don't like them and all that kind of stuff. You're supposed to try to the best you can. Phileo, eros, chemistry-based, conditional, very conditional. But then there's this agape love. And this agape love, by the way, is a Greek word, that is most often translated as love in the New Testament, and it's almost exclusively used in the New Testament to describe the love that Christ said we should have for others. And this is my definition here, but it's an unconditional, willful love. It's, the desire, uh, it's, it's to desire and work for God's best in the life of another person. Now, I don't know about you, but this helps me a little bit. So when you hear this, call to love your enemy and you're starting to think okay how do I do this because my feelings don't want to love somebody who insults me Jesus is saying this is not about your feelings when it comes to discipleship write this down your feelings will betray you your feelings will lead you not to obey Jesus right so agape love is this willful, intentional choice to love someone even when they are unlovely. And the only way we can do this is the love of God. It's the only way we can do this. Because if the Holy Spirit takes up residence in our lives, which we talked about in the first week of this series, if you didn't uh, catch that one, go, let me encourage you to go online and go back. But the Holy Spirit takes up residence in our life, touches our hearts, we receive the love of God, and the, this otherworldly love, it's this other way, it's this supernatural, otherworldly love flows straight from Jesus right through us to somebody that is unlovely. It's the only way we can do it. It's the only way. But it's this willful, intentional choice. It's not based on 
you're feeling. One scholar wrote, Jesus' point was not to provide his followers with a new rule book, a list of do's and don'ts, you know, lend to those who won't repay, give shirt off your back, all that, that you could tick off one by one and sit back and be satisfied at the end of a successful moral day. The point was to inculcate and illustrate an attitude of the heart, a lightness of spirit in the face of all the world can throw at you. You are to be like this because this is what God is like. This is what God is like. We can only do this because of the love Christ has for us. I don't know if uh, some of you saw today, but if you opened or, or launched your Washington Post this morning, uh, the very first article, the headline was American missionaries and family members kidnapped in Haiti by uh, a gang group, say. Let me just read a few paragraphs. A notorious gang for mass kidnappings is believed to have abducted a group of 17 missionaries and family members, primarily Americans, in Haiti on Saturday while they were returning from a visit to an orphanage, the latest in a wave of kidnappings to greet the Caribbean nation. An audio recording described as a prayer alert from Ohio-based Christian Aid Ministries and obtained by the Washington Post stated that men, women, and children associated with the group were being held by an armed gang. Those abducted included organization staff as well as family members, according to the, re- according to the recording and a person familiar with the abduction. The mission field director and the American embassy are working to see what can be done. The voice on the recording stated, it later added, pray that the gang members will come to repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. How do you love your kidnappers? You pray that they come to faith, that they repent, that they know the love of Jesus Christ. You pray, even for your kidnappers. So I just want to stop the sermon right now. I want to pray for these folks, and I want to encourage you to pray for them in the days, hours and days ahead. Let's pray for them right now. God, we don't know a lot of specifics today, but we know that these missionaries from this Christian aid group in Haiti ministering and serving to, to the orphans in that area, those without homes and those without mothers and fathers, just the way that you call us to serve, Lord. They have now come into harm's way and they have requested prayer for their kidnappers. They have requested that we pray for their repentance and their faith. That, oh Lord, that you would open their hearts and touch them with Lord, your love, that you would open them to your love so that they would turn away from evil and turn to you in faith. So God, we pray for this gang. We pray that they would come to faith and come to know your transforming, revolutionary love. And Lord, we pray for the safety and the well-being of these missionaries, their families, their children, those who are working with the organization. Lord, we pray that in whatever ways, Lord, that You will, Lord, please rescue them. Lord, please deliver them. Please deliver them to safety. Lord, above all things, we also ask that You would help them to remain faithful to You and to witness for You and to honor You as they go through this terrible ordeal. We lift them up in the name of Jesus and all God's people said, Amen. So Jesus said, 
when you have this kind of love, you're rewarded by God. When you have this kind of love, love for your enemies, this willful, intentional choice to love those who are unloving, you're rewarded. He says, at the end of our text, he shifts gears a bit and he goes from this high challenge to this incredible encouragement and promise. He said, when we love like this, we will be rewarded by God. This reminds me that our love, our Lord never calls us to greater living in him without promising us his greater life. Right? He never raises the bar. He never raises the challenge without promising his greater life. And he says, we'll be rewarded by God. Of course, as children of God, who have been reconciled to God through Jesus Christ, we're going to spend eternity with God. We're going to spend eternity with God, walking in full communion with Him. And we're going to experience His pleasure over us. That is reward enough, don't get me wrong. But I also think it's really helpful in our journey. It's really helpful in our journey to be faithful to Jesus and to love the unlovely that we also understand there are rewards for the here and now today. Not just for the sweet by and by, but for today. And one of those is this sense of greater faith. Loving those who hate us. Allowing someone to take from us without demanding it back. Lending to those who cannot pay back. Not striking someone who strikes you first. The only way we can do this is the power of the Holy Spirit and trusting faith. Trusting faith that no matter what happens in our lives, we trust that God will take care of us. We trust that God will take care of us, that God will take care of justice in this world, and God will take care of vengeance, that we don't need and should not ever go there. So when we experience this kind of hostility, it deepens and it strengthens and it broadens our faith. Our faith grows stronger today. Trust me. It will grow stronger in your life from the very beginning that you start applying these words of Jesus. St. Paul wrote, we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance character and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us greater faith on this side of eternity as we demonstrate the love of Jesus to those who are hard to love. The second reward is greater freedom. It's greater freedom to give generously without expecting anything in return. To lend without expecting to be paid back. To love instead of hate. To bless instead of curse. This is freedom. This is liberation. Find someone who is filled with hate and you'll find someone who is bound emotionally. Find someone who is angry over an unpaid debt and you'll find someone who is consumed by money. Find someone who is hanging on to material goods and you'll find someone who is attached to this world and to things that will not fade away. Bound instead of free. By the way, this is one of the many reasons we're called to give to support the work of God. We're called to give because, number one, God wants us to give as an act of worship to show that He is the priority in our lives. Second, God wants us to give so that we show that we trust God to provide for us and to care for us. 
And third, God wants us to give so that we are liberated from greed and liberated from materialism and we're free to live and to love the way God wants us to live and to love. When we hear this call, we are given this path to greater freedom in Christ. He laid out here how to turn an enemy into a neighbor, how to live with incredible faith that comes with the benefit and the reward of a stronger faith and greater freedom. So Jesus wraps up this teaching with a simple phrase, be merciful just as your father is merciful. It's a family trait. To love your enemy is a family trait. It's what the people of God do because God has done it for us. He's given us all we need to be merciful when he poured his mercy on us. Let's go back to that first question or one of those first questions. Who is my enemy? I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes for a second. Bring that person to mind. And I invite you to hear and pray in your own way this prayer. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on the cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you. And if anyone who takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. God, we need you. And we need your help to live and love those who are hard to love in our life. Help us by your grace and power to be faithful to your call and guide us as we allow you to work through us to turn enemies into neighbors. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Now Pastor Brian is going to come and share with us a few updates uh, and highlights in our mission together and then uh, offer our closing prayer. Brian?